I invite you to open your Bible with me this morning to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12, the visit of the Magi. Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> it's interesting that Matthew is the only gospel writer to include this story. Um, it's not found in uh, Mark or Luke or John. And, uh, and the question is why? And we're going to be looking into that this morning as we um, open the word together. What is Matthew's point? What, why does he include this story? Particularly, why is Matthew talking about Gentile pagan priests when he's writing to a Jewish audience? And um, because it would surely be an offense to them to hear of these men coming to worship the Jewish Messiah. So let's give our attention this morning to God's Word. Let's begin chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Jesus, this is a story we've heard many times, and yet I pray, Lord, that the truth of it would strike our hearts. And maybe this morning, Lord, if it's the first time we've heard it, I pray, Lord, the same, that our eyes would see the beauty of Jesus as the Savior of sinners from all over the world and of every every nature. And I just pray, Lord, that your Spirit would attend to both the the speaking and the hearing, uh, that Jesus would, would be known. And, uh, and his love and truth would be real to us. In his name we pray, amen. Well, this morning we've come to a, <clears throat> a part of the Christmas story that's a, a staple of all Sunday school uh, Christmas pageants. So maybe when you were a little, a little one, uh, you participated in such a thing. And uh, every Christmas pageant needs the, the three wise men. Uh, we have a song about them, right? We three kings of Orient are. A tradition has even given us their names, Gaspar and Melchior and Balthazar. Uh, so you've seen, uh, maybe you've given out uh, cards this year with you have the pictures of the wise men on their camels making their way or kneeling by the baby Jesus there in the manger with the shepherds nearby, uh, offering their gifts 
of gold and frankincense and myrrh. That is the story as we've heard it and seen it. Unfortunately, most of the details about that version of the story are incorrect. The, um, we, these are not kings, first of all. Uh, they are uh, wise men. They're, they're priests and scholars. They're intellectuals, uh, respected intellectuals of their day. Uh, we, we don't know their names. Uh, Matthew doesn't tell us how many there were. The number three just comes from the uh, number of gifts that were given to them. And it's very unlikely that they were there on the night of Jesus' birth. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, in in uh, the next text, we're going to see that Herod moves to kill the children of Bethlehem to and under uh, because of the time that he ascertained from the wise men when they saw the star originally, how long it took them to get there. And so Jesus is very likely 18 months old. Uh, by the time that the wise men appear. Um, so what do we know? Well, we know that they are wise men from the east. Uh, they're probably from the Arabian Peninsula or maybe southern Turkey, modern-day uh, Iraq, maybe even India, possibly as far as China. Uh, they are men, wise men from the Orient who came eagerly looking for the Christ child so they could worship him, right? They tell Herod, this is why we're here. We're here because we want to worship the Christ. As I said, it's, it's interesting that Matthew is the only gospel writer to include this story, particularly because Matthew is writing for a Jewish audience. This would be a stumbling block for a Jewish audience to have uh, pagan priests coming to worship the Jewish Messiah. Um, Matthew, you see, is, is working not just to prove that Jesus is, in truth, the Christ child, but Matthew is working to correct Jewish misconceptions about the nature of the Messiah, the one that had been promised to them. The Jews, you see, were looking for a Jewish political leader uh, who would accomplish Jewish political ends, primarily the removal of Rome. That was the great oppression that they experienced. Uh, that is what they were longing for and looking for, a Messiah who would come like David, the great king of Israel, and one who would come and remove Israel's enemies and establish Jesus and Israel as the greatest nation in the world. Well, Matthew is eager to show that the actual Christ, the Messiah, is vastly greater than their narrow political conception of him. That, that the one that God had promised and the one that God sent in Christ Jesus is the king of all the world and the savior of all the world. He has not come to rescue Jews from Roman rule, but to save sinners from every tongue, tribe, and nation because he's the savior of sinners and has come to rescue us from hell. That's why Jesus came. So it's not just a Jewish redeemer. It's just the Son of God came to earth to save lost men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and nation and to make everything new. This is the Savior for Arabs and Africans and Mongols and Brazilians and Japanese and even Dutch people. He can save the worst. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And that's what Matthew wants to make perfectly clear, and he does it by telling this, this story. First, he, he lets us know about the arrival of the wise men and their inquiry. 
Uh, we're told that they came to Jerusalem from the east, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now again, if you are a Jewish reader reading Matthew's gospel for the first time, you immediately have a problem. The wrong people are coming to the Messianic party. In the mind of the Jewish reader, <clears throat> these pagan Gentiles are thoroughly, unequivocally unfit to come into the presence of the son of David. You see, the, the Magi are, they're, they're polytheistic, believe there's numerous gods. They are a priestly ruling class of scholars whose specialty would be astrology, uh, magic, sorcery, also mathematics, and agriculture. They are, they're the, um, part of the elite ruling class. They would be uh, advisors to kings. They're, they're sort of Ivy League graduates, right? These are your Harvard and Yale students. They're, they're, they're recognized and respected for their wisdom, for their knowledge, for their insight. However, as you maybe know, sorcery, magic, witchcraft is soundly condemned in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, because it engages in the occult. It, it is engaging in the demonic world. And God's people who, who have the truth of God freely given to them have no need to go dabbling in the magic arts. In fact, it would be, it would be a... a treason against God to do so. So it would be difficult, practically impossible to find people who are more unsuitable to be in the presence of Jesus or to welcome the Messiah than these men. I mean, they're way, in the mind of a Jewish person, they're way at the end of the spectrum of, of permissible people who can come uh, into the presence of Jesus, the King. But you see, <clears throat> That is precisely why these men are so important to Matthew. It is, it is their unsuitability that he, that he wants us to see because Matthew understands the marvelous grace of God for unworthy people. Remember who Matthew is. Matthew was a tax collector. He knows what, it, what it's like to be despised because he was despised in truth. He knows what it's like to be unworthy. He was unworthy as, as a traitor to his own people. And yet Jesus had specifically called Matthew to be his disciple. His disciple. Matthew gets grace. And so when Matthew sees these three wise men, he doesn't see the, the unworthy outcasts, those who, who God would, would never allow to come into his presence. He sees those whom the Savior is seeking. He sees the, the people coming out of the darkness into the light of, of Christ, exactly as the prophet said in Isaiah 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. These men are an, are an essential part of Matthew's telling of the story precisely because they are pagan magi. They represent all those who live in spiritual darkness, and, and Matthew rejoices to see and to proclaim on them the light has shown. Just a, a, 
word on these magi. They're an example of what you maybe would call uh, the moral, respectable lost. There are different ways to be lost. Uh, we can see that even in Scripture. Matthew was a, a wicked, immoral, traitorous person. There was, there was something deeply broken and wrong with Matthew that would, would allow him to do the things that he did. He, he's a degenerate. Um, in, in, in prostitutes, right? You have that, those categories. People who've really blown it. That's one way to be lost. But the Magi are not like that at all. They strike us as thoughtful, very intelligent, highly respected men of integrity. These are people you would love to have as your neighbor and as your friend. They're, they're moral and respectable and, and have a deep integrity about them. And yet, you see, they need Jesus every bit as much as Matthew. And the reason, of course, is because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the reason is because Jesus was not lying when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He's either telling the truth or he's lying straight out of his mouth. And, and Jesus doesn't lie. And th that means that every man, woman, and, and child in the world is going to have to deal with Jesus, either in this life or on the day of judgment, but no one will escape dealing with Jesus, facing him. And the issue that we will have to address is, what have we done with the Christ? What did we do with him? How did we respond to him? Have we come to worship him like the Magi, or reject him like Herod, or ignore him like the Jewish leaders? Because what we see in the rest of the text here are these different ways of responding to Christ. Let's look first at Herod's response, the response of opposition and, and uh, animosity. Verse 3, we read, when King Herod heard this, that the king of the Jews has been born, uh, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. One commentator wrote that Jerusalem had good reason to be troubled when Herod was troubled because Herod's troubles usually meant the people's. Herod was a vicious man. A Herod, um, just tell you a little story about Herod. He knew that people hated his guts, and he's getting on in, in years here. And so um, he had orders, uh, he identified the most respectable men in the area, and he gave orders to his followers, his, his henchmen, that when Herod died... They would go arrest and kill these, no, these notable, respected, admired men so that at least there would be weeping in Israel when he died. He was just a miserable man, uh, eager to hang on to his control. Uh, Herod killed three of his own sons because uh, he did not want them to threaten his reign. This is the kind of person we're dealing with. See, Herod um, is nervous, is troubled, because Herod loves his position. He loves his throne. He likes being lord and king over his own life. He likes reigning over Palestine. And this baby sounds like nothing but a threat. Uh, there are many people who feel this way about Jesus. It's not just that they don't believe in Jesus. They don't want to believe in Jesus. They like running their own life. They like deciding their own moral code. 
They like um, going their own way, doing their own thing. They, they, they sense that to come to Jesus would mean they'd have to submit to his authority, that Jesus would be the Lord of their life, and they don't want to have a Lord of their life. They like the Lord they have, their own self. That, that, that's, that's the Herod response. There's a great example of this in um, Thomas Nagel. He's professor of philosophy at uh, New York University, or was until 2016. And he talks about this, his own personal experience of this. He says, um, he's talking about the fear that people have in coming to Christianity, coming to faith. He says, I speak from experience being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true. And am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That's just, that is really honest. That's really honest. There's, there's not much intellectual integrity in it. I don't want to see the facts about Christ. I'm not going to deal with the claims of Christ because I just don't want it to be true. That's why many people don't come to Christ. They just don't want it to be true. They don't want to submit. They don't want to give up the control of their own life. And except by the grace of God, of course, that would be all of us. That would be every single one of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. It's only grace that gives us the ability to submit to Christ as our king and to find actual life and joy there. But that was Herod's response. But there are other ways to reject Jesus, and we see that in the response of the Jewish leaders. Um, So Herod gathers the scribes and the Jewish leaders together and asks them, what about this uh, Christ, and where was he to be born? And they give him the answer, Bethlehem. And they quote from Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from the old, from ancient days. And so when Herod asks them the question, they give him the answer. Bethlehem. And that's all we read of them. The silence is deafening. These are the Jewish religious leaders, and someone has just come and said, we saw a star, the king of the Jews has been born, the Messiah has come, where would we find him? And they say, well, he'd he'd be right down the road, about five miles. And they don't move. Why are they on the road? This is their Messiah. How in the world do they come to a place where they, they're like, well, you just go down here and uh, you look around. It's not a very big town. And they don't do anything. And the answer, you see, of course, is because they didn't believe a word of it. They, they, they gave the message, but they are utterly convinced in their own self-righteous pride, there is no way in the world that God would send news of the Messiah to these pagan Gentile priests without telling them first. It just, it's, it's, it's not in the realm of things that are possible. It would not happen. And so they have no need to go to Bethlehem because it can't possibly be true. You see, their self-righteous pride just yields this deadening complacency. 
and their Messiah, the one the prophets have been talking about, the one that they have been praying for, is, is here, and they ignore it. He's right there, just down the road. But they're too proud to face it. Bruner in his commentary says, The despised pagan astrologers, who have nothing but their natural idols, are led to Israel, who has the written word of God. And when this word is heard by both the Israelites and the Magi, it is the pagans who eagerly follow it, while the leadership of the people of God sit complacently at home. The despised believed the word, the devout ignored it. You see, Tim Keller is on to something when he says there's, there are two ways to hide from God. Either outright rejection or external religion. Outright rejection, you just, I want nothing to do with him. External religion is a way of hiding from God by participating in the things of God. You go to church, you believe certain things, but you have no actual engagement with the Christ, with Jesus, and you're not really interested in actual engagement with Jesus. You don't sense a need for actual engagement with Jesus. You're fine. You go to church. You believe good things. And you're hiding from God just as truly as Thomas Nagel says, I don't want it to be true. You're just as lost. There's, there's, in, in terms of eternal things, there's no difference between the Jewish leaders and Herod, except that the Jewish leaders will be much more accountable on the day of judgment. There's many in the world today and in the church today who are just like this. Self-righteous, proud, complacent. Never dawns on them that they don't actually know Jesus. Doesn't concern them that there's not a, a hunger to know Christ. Friends, if that's you this morning, then you just need to hear that like the religious leaders, you're just dead to God and and, and you need to pray that God would wake you up. Your religion will not suffice. You're just as lost as Herod or the religious leaders. What's the right response? Well, the right response we see, of course, in the Magi. They hear the message, and they eagerly make their way to Bethlehem, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, Matthew says. How do you think these men felt? Happy. Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's a little redundant. They were happy, happy, happy all the time. They were right inside, outright, downright happy. They delighted. They were overjoyed to come and find the king, the king of the Jews. That's how they call him. That's what they call him. And yet they, they clearly sense that this king of the Jews is, is not just a king for the Jews because they come to worship him. They come to give him gifts. They receive him as their king, as their Lord. Now there's, there's a lot of discussion if you read the commentaries about what was the star? Was it a, a meteor or, or an actual star, a comet? What was it? And the, and the, and the answer is we have no idea. It's not the point. The point is that God somehow has miraculously led them to this point and they are there to see the joy of their heart. 
the one they've been looking for, the Savior of the world. And so when they find him, they, they see him in the house. There's Mary, and there's this maybe toddler walking around. Can you imagine <laughs> Mary's face as these strange men come in, and they see the child, and they just are exuding joy and worship, and they fall down in front of Jesus, and they're worshiping him. Men you've never seen before. Men with funny-looking hats. And they're, they're rejoicing in Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Why? Well, because they know who he is. They know who he is, and they delight in it. And they offer these beautiful gifts of gold, a sign of royalty. It's an appropriate gift for a king. This baby is born to rule. They offer frankincense, which would be used by priests in the worship of God. This is a great priest, one who, who makes a way between God and men. They give the gift of myrrh, which is a spice used uh, primarily for burial. It's a prophetic gift. This king will suffer and die. And they give these gifts to the prophet and priest and king Jesus, and they worship him. Friends, what's your response to Jesus? Is this just an old story that you've heard a thousand times and, and you're, you remain unmoved, you remain complacent, you remain, you remain committed to going your own way? Right? You, maybe your response this morning is the Herod response. You just don't want it to be true. You like living your life on your terms. You don't, you don't want to be told what to do. You don't want God interfering. If that's you, friend, that you're, just, you're just in bondage to your own pride, and it, and it will destroy you. And you will end up rejecting Jesus, not because you've discovered the story is not true, but simply because you don't want it to be true. And there's no integrity in that response. I just plead with you, have the same spirit of these beautiful men from the East. Is it true? Discover it. Find it out. Seek it out. And deal with Jesus as he is. And find the joy that they knew. Maybe your response this morning is like the Jewish leaders. You're just complacent to it. Friends, this is not a story to be complacent about. The Son of God has invaded human history, and that means that the Son of God is going to be, you, you're going to have to deal with Him. You're going to have to deal with Him. And your complacency will not suffice. It won't work to say, I was in church my whole life. Have you ever sought Christ? Just out of your own heart. Jesus, I need you. I want to know you. I confess my pride. I repent of my self-righteousness. I, I need forgiveness for my complacency. Don't let me walk, sleepwalk through the, my religious life and never actually come to terms with Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus wasn't born for our idle speculation or idle interest. Jesus was born to be the Lord and Savior of your soul. And so we must then, you see, respond like the Magi. It's what Jesus deserves. It's what we need. These, these beautiful men from the east who come and, and they fall down and they worship Jesus. They, they delight in him. They gladly bow the knee to him. 
They offer him gifts as they embrace him as their savior and as, their, as they submit to him as their Lord. That's, that's the response. That's what God calls us to. That's what Jesus invites us to this morning. You see, it's a day of grace today. It's a day for, for people like you and me who we've sinned in all these ways and in different aspects and degrees. But today we get to come and, and worship Jesus and rejoice in Jesus and freely again and freshly maybe again receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. That today again you, you receive Christ, the one sacrificed for you, as the one who's able to forgive you all your sin, to wash you clean of all your stain, to make you righteous and right before God, and no one else can do it. And maybe today is the day for you just to take that story again and freshly apply it to your life. And then to freshly receive Christ Jesus as the Lord and King, so that you say, Lord, my, my life doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. My possessions don't belong to me, they belong to you. My family doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. Everything I am and everything I have Jesus belongs to you. Help me to steward it for your glory. Because you're my Lord. You're my Savior. And I want to worship you. May God grant it. Amen. Jesus, I thank you that you've come into this world, our world, our broken, wicked, lost world. And you came to be light, and you came to be life, the light of men. Oh God, I thank you so much that Jesus is present today and, and calls us to respond to him today. And Lord, you know every heart in this room. You know what our responses have been. And Jesus, I, I, I pray that by your Holy Spirit today, you would bring faith where there formerly has not been any, or, or Lord, you would fan that weak, flickering flame of faith and make it strong and bold today as, as we deal with Jesus and as we embrace him as our Savior and our Lord, as we confess our sin, as we, we confess our pride and, and, and turn away from our demand to live our life on our terms and, and we receive Christ Jesus as Lord and King and Savior. Oh God, may that, may that happen in the truth of our heart in a way that is manifested in our life as we, as we move forward from this day in this place. And we pray, Lord Jesus, all this for our joy and for your glory. And God's people said, amen. Let's respond in song, Joy Has Dawned Upon the World, promised from creation. Let's stand together.
Amen. After the benediction, we're going to invite you to come up, and we're going to, we have music here, but there'll be music on the wall as well, yeah, and so we're going to sing together uh, the Hallelujah Chorus. Receive now the blessing taken from Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. May the grace and peace of God the Father be multiplied to you. Amen. Please come forward. And the rest of you remain standing. <coughs> Tenors. I have a song.